Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we're going to be doing a character analysis of Draco Malfoy, and we'll decide whether or not Draco is truly capable of redemption. There's been some big news in New York. Excuse me. I mean, just for Micah, there's been some big news. Right, Micah? <laughs> What's happened while we've been off? Well, while we've been off, the uh, the store that you're so excited to go and visit has officially opened. So I don't know, man. I'm looking forward to going and checking it out. Maybe there was a press event I heard about. We weren't invited, so I don't know how excited I still am to go and check it out. In fairness to them, we never get invited to press events. We haven't really tried because we've been associated with websites that do get invited to press events. Mm. Um, I will say I saw, so opening day was June 3rd. There was a long line to get into that store. I don't know if Micah said explicitly. It's the official Harry Potter store in New York that we're talking about. But yeah, there was a very long line to get in today. That honestly surprised me. We all saw previews over the past couple weeks, right, of of influencers who got to go in early and it looks beautiful it really does i'm just not excited for a sweatshirt that says harry potter store in new york yes i was watching a couple minutes of the potter collectors walkthrough of the store uh showcasing all the merchandise there were actually some really interesting things like a handmade phoenix uh which was not for sale but was just like you know in terms of a, a fixture in the store that i thought would definitely be cool to walk in and check out much like the uh previous events that like the um, studio tour and things there's some special unique to that location uh scenery and theming that makes it definitely worth going to at least take a look at i'm not waiting in a long line to get in though i'll go when there's no line wait until it dies down yeah wait till tomorrow (laughs) there probably will be a line tomorrow so i guess micah whenever you go you'll come back and report on everything you saw at the store right yeah, of course. I'll uh, I'll take my own video. Yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. It, it's nice to have something in New York that is uniquely Harry Potter, Cursed Child aside. <laughs> I no, was going to say, wait Everything a second. Everything else is in Orlando. <laughs> it's in London. This is in New York. This is a mainstay. It's probably going to be there for a while unless they don't sell enough merchandise and then they're going to be gone in six months. So might as well try and get in now. No, they'll do fine. I look forward to hearing what you think of the store whenever you get to visit. Okay, so on today's episode, we are talking about Draco Malfoy. And the reason we're doing it this week is because his birthday was on June 3rd, actually the day that we're recording. Why don't we have a cake out right now? I've got some leftover ice cream cake in the fridge. I'll have it uh, after today's recording. Does Draco strike you as someone who likes birthday cake? I just don't Mm. get that vibe off of him. Mm. I don't want any cake, Potter. (laughs) I bet he had some cool themed cakes as a kid, like when his parents were first raising him. They spared no expense. Probably, I don't know, pigeons flew out of it. He cut it open. There was a little piece of paper that reminded him he is a pureblood and he should only (laughs) party with purebloods. That's right. I thought we could get started with the name origin. This was something that we did with Professor Sprout that I thought was a lot of fun. Um, So Draco, of course, is from the Latin for dragon. And then Malfoy is actually from a couple of different words. You have the word mal, um, which means bad in pretty much all Romance languages, and then foy, which refers to faith or trust in French. So dragon bad faith is his name. Wow, dragon of bad faith. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good name for a rival for the hero. Exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> Definitely. Uh, Draco is a Gemini. And so we looked up some information on Geminis. I know someone here on the panel is also a Gemini. We can dive into that in a moment. Um, <laughs> Plan daddy. It says, your greatest skill lies in your ability to communicate. You are energized by the world around you and can create insightful observations with ease. While others describe it as talent, you only know it as something that comes naturally. Your gift for Gab makes you a valued friend and coveted companion. And Micah, I'm wondering if you can read this quote from Sorcerer's Stone. I thought it was very reflective of this Gemini aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) You'll soon find out some wizarding families are much better than others. Potter. I need Andrew, I actually need you to jump in there when I get to Potter. Potter. So you want, there we go. You don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. Potter. <laughs> oh, that second one wasn't actually in the book. Also, another interesting aspect to Geminis. Because of Gemini's intrinsic duality, they're often falsely misrepresented as two-faced. In reality, yes. however, <laughs> Gemini rarely has a hidden agenda. Andrew, do you, as a Gemini, do you feel like you are falsely misrepresented as two-faced? So people think I'm fake? Um, Maybe sometimes, but I don't think. I mean, I'm not saying people think you're fake. I'm asking you if this has been your experience. No. No, I don't think so. No. But you also pulled a reading here that was specific to June 3rd. So maybe that's yeah. why this doesn't, you know, align with me perfectly. Maybe. Mm. But we also just like to have fun on this show. Yes. <laughs> We're not taking star signs too seriously. Laura, this quote, uh, we can never take star signs too seriously. They'll surprise us all one day. <laughs> um, but uh, this quote you found, Laura, uh, perfectly speaks to Malfoy being perceived to have a hidden agenda in the apology uh, sequence in Chamber of Secrets when they are go through all this trouble, Harry, Ron, and Hermione do, to discover who the heir of Slytherin is, to get Malfoy to uh, fess up to it, he says to fake Crab and fake Goyle, I wish I knew who it is. I could help them. So they have his kind of, the way he leans is correct, but he's not all he seems. He's not the heir. Right. Mm. And could you also read this quote from Half-Blood Prince? I think we have a really nice... Um, connecting the threads moment here, looking at Draco in Chamber of Secrets and also looking at him in Half-Blood Prince. Ooh, I like that. Okay. No one can help me, said Malfoy. His whole body was shaking. I can't do it. I can't. It won't work. And unless I do it soon, he says he'll kill me. So it's super interesting to see like this duality of Draco, right? Like he's all bravado and he's all talk when the stakes actually aren't very high for him and when it's easy for him to do that. But then the second that he's put in the position where he has some skin in the game, he starts to see maybe this wasn't such a good idea to begin with. And it really makes you question how much of what Draco Malfoy espouses to believe Um, is his upbringing and how much of it is actually him. And that's going to be a big part of today's discussion. Yeah. 
look forward to getting into that. Um, also, according to Lego Harry Potter years one through four, his Bogart is Lord Voldemort, which <laughs> <laughs> I find interesting. Is it Lord Voldemort in Lego form or? Yes, it's Lego Lord form. Voldemort. Yes. Please, though, I can't step on him. It'll hurt so much. <laughs> But I am wondering, like, as kind of a sidebar, is this something we would consider canon? Um, I think that the idea definitely fits, especially given the transformation we see for Draco in book six and seven. Um, but how comfortable are we with other creators building onto existing canon? If it's the Lego games, they can have carte blanche. They can do it. I, I really, yeah. really love those games. But this is clearly a, a joke. Um, but it's really smart, I think. Yeah. That was going to be my guess because we know the Lego Harry Potter games can be comedic. Maybe they just decided to make his Bogart Lord Voldemort to be funny. Yeah. I don't know if that's really funny though, but, and then on the other hand, I, I've always assumed that there's like this database and encyclopedia, if you will, of Harry Potter information that the video games and everything else can kind of pull from when developing new material. This seems like an an important item to get right. I don't know if you want to just make up what somebody's boggart is. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, I would say circa year six, Draco would be very terrified of the Dark Lord enough for it to be. Yeah. His Bogart. The other thing I find interesting is that Draco was in the class, at least in the movie, he was in the class where they did the Bogart, and we don't see what his is um, in movie three, which we just watched and did a commentary of. But uh, it's interesting that in the books, Remus tells Harry that he thought his Bogart was going to be Lord Voldemort, and that that was why he stopped him. And the idea that Draco's Bogart could be Lord Voldemort is kind of a neat connection between Harry and, and Draco that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Yeah. And yeah. Micah, you have an interesting point here about whether a bog art can change over time. Yeah, I would think that kind of as you grow older, your bog art would change and the things that you fear change. And so if we are taking at face value what the Lego game has to say that Draco was afraid of Lord Voldemort, and I agree with Eric, it would have probably been later on. I'd be interested to know what his bog art was earlier on in the series, right? What would it have been his greatest fear, maybe his father, maybe not living up to his family name and kind of what that would take the form of, right? Obviously, we could see Lucius walking out, um, you know, of that cabinet, but maybe I'd be interested to know like what not living up to your family name looks like in Bogart form. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. I guess you could almost see it being Lucius, but maybe taunting Draco and telling him like, all of the things that he would most fear to hear from his father. Like we think about like you're no son of mine. Yeah. Think about right. Hermione's Bogart and it's professor McGonagall telling her she's failed everything. Right. Exactly. So I could definitely see that. And I, I wouldn't put it past Lucius to be very uh, emotionally manipulative and abusive even towards mm-hmm. his own son. But I will say, I feel like failure is a fear of his regardless throughout the entire series, even when you get to the point where you could say Voldemort would be his his bogart. I think it's still a case of fearing failure to his family, maybe to his mother, failing himself. I, I think he has a, a bit of a complex when it comes to that. Yeah. Like some other characters we know. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously, Draco Malfoy is played by the wonderful Tom Felton in the movies. No, please read the word you used. 
Oh, I said immortal. <laughs> the immortal Tom Felton. <laughs> I hope. Um, yeah, that would be great. Um, TikTok sensation. Yeah, he's he's just great. I feel like, and it it's it's no shade towards anyone else in the cast. I just feel like Tom Felton has done a particularly good job of continuing to lean into the fandom, even post Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still like leans into it he has his whole draco talk phenomenon on tiktok where he encourages people to do their own reenactments of iconic draco malfoy scenes um he's just great so we're big fans you know speaking to his acting ability he was one of the few child actors that was actually in things prior to harry potter yeah he was Uh, i I actually saw the borrowers probably when it came out in 1997 um he played pea green uh, P. Green Clock, which I think was the character that lived in the one of the one of the family of borrowers. So he, you know, had some skills prior to, you know, which which then probably lent you know lent lent him to be able to do a really good job as Draco. But I, you just really can't imagine anybody else in that role. Um, the way he gleefully, especially that young, just gleefully steals the remembrance and like is very very happy about Neville falling off his broom. It just you know, it's pitch perfect. It's very, very, very good. Yeah, yeah. it was perfect casting. I, I do want to mention a couple of other boggarts here before we move on, because some of these are pretty funny uh, from the Discord. Um, from the Lord Voldemort's mouth himself, his boggart is probably being poor. Um, <laughs> yeah. AY squared 66 says adoption papers. Ooh, yeah, that would rock him. Wow. Just a couple of uh, good ones there from our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, so Draco married Astoria Greengrass, who died at age 37, and is father to Scorpius Hyperion Malfoy. What a name. Yeah. What a name. <laughs> I mean, is it any worse than Albus Severus Potter? It's not worse, but is it better? The first name is what gets me every time. And <laughs> I always, now that I ship Scorpius. Scorbis, I always get confused in my head with Scorbis, Scorpius. I want to call him Scorbis. Somebody right. actually sent us in an email that I was going to save for a future mailbag, but they asked the question if Albus Severus Potter was named that way so that his initials would be Asp and he would be sorted into Slytherin. Interesting. Asp? I'm not getting it. Yeah, an Asp is like a Egyptian snake. Oh, I love that. Oh. Yeah. 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 That's kind of snaky. Too much for yeah. Thursday at eight o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Well, the, the Scorpius thing, Scorpius is actually a constellation. Yeah. Exactly mm-hmm. like Draco. It even has the same person who coined it, which may or may not be this week's Quizich. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's really a star theme. And uh, not to mention all of the extended black family members um, are also star themed. Sirius is a star. Um and in fact, Lucius is a star. Yeah. So there's very, very clearly an intentional theme, just like all the flower names in the Harry Potter books. There are a lot of star related names. And I think Draco um, probably, whether knowingly or not, you know, his son's name comes from yet another constellation in the sky. It's mm-hmm. a good point. Well, speaking of their relationship, this is from wizardingworld.com. Draco raised Scorpius to be a much kinder and more accepting Malfoy than he was in his youth. And I'm wondering if we can take a moment to think about what we think about Draco as a father figure. 
I think he's trying to do what his parents didn't. I think he, as we know, learned by the end of the series that he was going down the wrong path with his family and he didn't want to raise his son the same way. I really like who Draco becomes in Cursed Child. And I think Astoria dies during the course of Cursed Child, right? And yeah. The reason I say that is because there is a note here. I'll just I'll just counter it before it even gets brought up of <laughs> that maybe Astoria's death softened Draco, but I think he was softer than he was in the Core 7 books prior to her dying. I agree with that. It's real shame that she died and I wish that was not the case, but I think he would have been better suited to be a parent than his parents strictly because his parents raised him um you know as very very staunch supporters of Lord Voldemort and he sort of lived the big reveal that that's not a great life especially for a kid and that his parents weren't the greatest parents as a result of it so i think you know we we're all trying to do what our parents did right right and do what they didn't do right a different way and I think that that's something that Draco would have taken to heart. And I, the few scenes in Cursed Child that seem to indicate how he is as a father seem to show him as being maybe even more supportive of Scorpius than Harry is of Albus Severus uh, and of the the boys' union. Um, you know, Draco seems to have to just be readily more uh, into it. And I think that might be because Draco probably wonders what would it have been like if he had actually befriended Harry. Yeah, and yeah. not made it a power play. Yeah. It is really interesting you speaking to these characters kind of flipping roles a little bit. You know, you would imagine that after everything Harry's been through, he would be the understanding father. You would imagine that, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, that's why Cursed Child is not canon. <laughs> <laughs> no. But as long as we're talking about actual media, yeah, I agree. It's It's a really neat character reversal, I think. And when I mentioned in the document that Draco losing Astoria could have softened him, I think I mean it from the standpoint of then it's only him with Scorpius. He's now the sole person responsible for raising his son. And that's not an easy situation to be in. And I also don't think it was super clear after the end of Deathly Hallows what happens between Draco and his parents. He clearly has a loyalty to his mother yeah, But it didn't seem like the relationship was all that great with Lucius. And I don't know that they're around in Cursed Child. I, I seem to remember there was a mention of at least one of them having passed, but unclear if there's a grandparent dynamic going on there. So I just think to the points raised, Draco comes across as a much more sympathetic individual than mm-hmm. he did at any time really during the course of the Potter series. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you have to wonder after the events of Deathly Hallows, you know, his parents presumably, um, because of their sort of last minute change in allegiance, which really wasn't a change in allegiance. It was more self-preservation than anything else. But due to that, they probably didn't face any kind of jail time for anything that they participated in before that. And I would have to imagine that if Draco really did have a change of heart, it would be really hard to continue having a relationship with parents that he knew maintained these really um, abhorrent ideologies, right? Even if they now know, I can't speak to these 
because it's not socially acceptable anymore. Um, and the Death Eaters are no longer in power. So I have to be quiet, essentially. Um, so yeah, it would be really interesting to get a little more insight into what that relationship looked like between Book 7 and Cursed Child. Wasn't there a, a suggestion in Cursed Child that Draco wasn't really Scorpius's father? Or am I not remembering oh, there that correctly? Was. Yeah, yeah the rumors were going so- around and Draco's like, put a stop to this, Hermione, stop these rumors. Or was it about Draco being the father of Delph? No, no, it was about no. Scorpius being Voldemort's heir or something like that. Yeah, yeah and yeah. the rumor was that Draco was impotent, right? Yeah. Oh, right, right, right. How these rumors get started? Sheesh. I know. It turned out to be a red herring. Somebody was right about uh, there being an heir of Voldemort. It just was not Scorpius. The last point I'll make about this discussion is there's this great Springsteen song called Long Time Coming, and it's about how parents don't want their kids to make the same mistakes that they did. And there's a line that says, if I had one wish in this godforsaken world, it'd be that your mistakes would be your own. And I think that's what Draco wants here. He knows he made mistakes. He doesn't want Scorpius to be the same person. Yep. And Draco is a big Springsteen fan, so. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure he is. I love this uh, sort of talking about whether Draco turns a corner or sees the mis- like what he did in his life as big mistakes later in the game. But let's actually now, I want to talk about those moments when he was still young and still very much a jerk. So I have compiled, and I'm going to need your guys' help reading excerpts from the books right now, but we're going to do top 10 moments when Draco was a jerk. Just, ugh unrelenting so number seven here this is from book two page 192 it's when draco cheats at dueling club andrew you want to take this one's at the ready shouted lockhart when i count to three cast your charms to disarm your opponents only to disarm them we don't want any accidents one two three harry swung his wand high but malfoy had already started on two His spell hit Harry so hard, he felt as though he'd been hit over the head with a saucepan. Very unfair. That's a cheap shot, Draco. Yeah. Seriously. Of course, it reminds me, Harry knows all about what it's like to be hit over the head with a saucepan. Because doesn't Aunt Petunia, like, swing, like, one at him regularly? Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of crappy. They're in front of the whole school. He's going to get caught in the act of doing this. His only guess is, if I'm successful, no one will care. Yeah. It just kind of speaks to his character. It does. I think also, though, this is maybe an example of something that could be chalked up to idiot school children. Like, who hasn't been in that situation where you're supposed to be doing something on the count of three in gym class or whatever <laughs> and have somebody sort of like cheat a little bit, right? In order to get the upper hand. So, but there are absolutely things on this list that are far more egregious. No, it gets worse. Like even (laughs) this next one, number six, uh, this is from book one, actually. He implies that all the kids who stay at Hogwarts over Christmas are not wanted at home. You want to read this one, Laura? Sure. I do feel so sorry, said Draco Malfoy in one potions class, for all those people who have to stay at Hogwarts for Christmas because they're not wanted at home. This is rough. Ouch. Yeah. This, uh, he means it to Harry, and he does, I think the whole world knows 
Harry's specific situation um, well enough to guess at this, but it's rough. It's it's a broad generalization. He shouldn't be making it, and it's extremely insensitive to everyone. Plus, Hogwarts is great. Why wouldn't you want to stay there over the holidays? I do wonder. I was just thinking that. I do wonder if students genuinely would want to stay there over the holidays because the school is great. It's like, you know, if you're actually going to school there, it loses some of the magic, pun intended. So you might want to actually mm. leave school for a little while as much as you might enjoy it for its classes. But I, I do agree that we as mere muggles would love to stay there over Christmas. It looks like one of the best times of year to be there. Certainly. Yeah. I th- I think maybe if you're younger it's a little weird but i certainly as you get older and maybe you'd want to spend more time with your friends during the holidays you could just stay at hogwarts and do it what if you're jewish you don't you know you don't have to go home for christmas <laughs> right. Yeah. right exactly come on draco well i mean if you just think about some of the reasons other kids stay at hogwarts like for instance uh ron does that one year when his parents are in egypt it's like oh my parents just aren't home because they have other people to go see like other right. siblings who've long since graduated. So right. that has nothing to do with their home life. He's just making a cheap dig that, you know, Harry won't hear your comments, Draco, but other people whose families don't like them. Well, actually, Harry hears it. He very much hears it. It's in potions. Anyway, moving on. This is number five. His targeted harassment of the Weasleys for being poor. And this is throughout all the books. We had to consolidate it all into one. And that makes up the fifth most time that draco was a jerk micah do you want to take these the first one is or perhaps said malfoy leering as he backed away you can remember what your mother's house stank like potter and weasley's pigsty reminds you of it so nice so charming yeah yeah i feel like a lot of these really nasty moments got left out of the movies like maybe He's they too thought mean. It, it was just too mean for screen or something like that. Too mean for screen. <laughs> we don't want people to hate Tom Felton completely. Well, one of the cheapest forms of entertainment is movie going. You don't want anybody getting offended by these comments. Jeez. Like your pores to your house smells. Come on, man. Yeah, there's definitely a dynamic here of wealth and and what Draco considers to be poverty in the wizarding world. And Mm -hmm. he definitely lets that bias shine through. Uh, And then also this comment during um, the Weasley is our King section, he says, we wanted to write another couple of verses. Malfoy called as Katie and Alicia hugged Harry, but we couldn't find rhymes for fat and ugly. We wanted to sing about his mother, see, referring to Ron, well, referring specifically to Molly Weasley. It's just uncalled for. You know, his sort of attack of the Weasleys, not just for being Harry's friend, but for being poor, for being a different class than he is. It it may stem from his father's um, rivalry with, you know, Mr. Weasley at work, but there's just no excuse for it. And there's no place for a lot of these comments that he seems to be able to make and allowed to make and encouraged by people like Snape to continue making until it breaks the Weasleys down. And I mean quite a few of them fist fight <laughs> as a result of it. Like it just really just gets to their core and, and Harry too. It's, it's insulting. And then turning to Hermione, there was this targeted harassment of Hermione due to her blood status throughout the books. 
For example, when Ron and Harry are in disguise, Draco says, It's only a matter of time before a mudblood dies this time. I hope it's that Granger girl. And then in Goblet of Fire, he tells Hermione she's going to end up like the muggles they're torturing at the Quidditch World Cup. These are great points. And then we have a quote here in which, um, you know, Malfoy says, if you think they can't spot a mudblood, stay where you are. One thing that I was thinking about when we're when reviewing this list and we put the Weasleys and Hermione back to back in the list, are Draco's persistent verbal attacks on Ron and Hermione over the years, at least partially due to Harry choosing them, Ron and Hermione, over Draco when Harry and Draco first met. Because that that first encounter, Draco's invite, was obviously so critical to what would follow. I wonder if many of these attacks are just straight up bitterness and jealousy. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, especially because Harry was like, no, I'll take these two for myself instead. But when you look at Draco's privilege, uh, Ron and Hermione represent two things that he's not, um, which is muggle-born in the case of Hermione and rich, you know, or he's not poor in the case of the Weasley. So he really is able to pick these two things that Ron and Hermione have and taunt them for it mercilessly. And it's, it's, it's pretty, I don't know that maybe it'd be as targeted to specifically them, but you know, he'd still go around calling out the word mudblood because his parents told him it was okay or something like he says that as early as um when he calls Hermione a, a mudblood for the first time in i think it's chamber of secrets yep this is a word that and this is why this is ranked like higher than the weasley taunts because he's using you know a racial prejudice term um strictly to call out hermione and also equate her to the muggles that are being tortured at the you know, having very real danger put upon them. It's also something I wonder, though, in in what you just mentioned, Eric, like, is there something sitting beneath the surface here for Draco in his attacks of Hermione and in of Ron? Obviously, we know Hermione is extremely bright, a gifted student. It's unclear at this point how good of a student Draco actually is. And I wonder if him being, you know, this pure blood, seeing somebody who is not rise to this level, create some sort of animosity within him. And then also with the Weasleys, like they're rich in family. He is not. And Ooh, I think that point. that is a big sticking point for him, especially in his earlier years. Like some of the things that it's it's actually surprising some of the things that he's saying, you know, even as early on as the second book about he's hoping that Hermione dies. Like that's strong for a 12 year old to say about another 12 year old yeah well we have to remember too chamber of secrets is the book where um when harry finds himself in borgen and burks and he overhears draco and lucius's conversation and lucius is i'm really self-conscious about the way i say his name now after we got corrected on the pronunciation (laughs) oh Um, right lucius 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 Um, lucius is literally telling draco I can't believe you let that mud blood girl outperform you on all your exams. And so just mm. think about what he must be hearing about that mud blood girl at home and how that's informing him to think saying things like, I hope she's next is okay. Right. Yeah. I always think about stuff like that. Imagine how bad it is at home. If this is what right. he's saying around others. 
Yeah, and, exactly. and what's wrong with you if if Harry Potter is going and becoming friends with Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley and, and you can't even, you know, get Harry to be your friend? What what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean well, and, who and knows what mission, he's saying to him. Yeah, basically. And Lord Voldy over in our Discord is asking, isn't Draco almost as smart as Hermione or is that a fanfic thing? I actually found the answer to this while I was doing some research. Um it's in that same book in Chamber of Secrets at the very beginning in Borgen and Burke. Uh, Lucius says, though his, if his grades don't pick up, that may be, that may be indeed all he is fit for, a thief and a plunderer. It's not my fault, retorted Draco. The teachers all have favorites. That Hermione Granger, dot, 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 and then Lucius says, I would have thought you'd be ashamed that a girl of no wizard family beat you in every exam. So it really does seem like, Drake in canon, Draco's academics are just below Hermione's like just though because she's being singled out as being the person that beat him in every exam so I, I I think that even as early as he says oh I wish that Granger girl would die he has sort of an academic competitive reason for saying that um, it could be fully motivated by his sort of rivalry or seeing her as smarter than him and he can't have that so it's very interesting Definitely. And and actually one other point Megan in the Discord raised is that it's probably a bit of, of jealousy as it relates to attention. You think about yep. how much attention Harry, Ron, and Hermione get for the things that they do right and for the things that they don't do right. And Draco yep. never seems to be on the right side of anything. Yeah. It could have been Harry and Draco. Yeah. And I mean, really thinking about it, Harry could have befriended anyone who wasn't Draco, and I think Draco would have targeted whoever that was. True. Okay, we have more in our lists coming up, but all this talk about Draco is making me feel dirty. You know? Anyone want to feel a little fresh? I gotta go brush my teeth. You gonna go take a shower? No, not a shower. Eric was on the right track. This week's episode of MuggleCast is sponsored by Quip, and I want to tell you about their excellent mouthwash. This no lie is the most important part of my brushing routine. I do not feel truly clean in my mouth unless I'm topping it off with some mouthwash. I just feel incomplete. And you know, mouthwash actually hasn't changed in 140 years. Most brands are still selling big, bulky bottles that are mostly full of water and alcohol. That's why the oral care experts at Quip created a mouthwash that gives you more of the ingredients you need and less of the stuff that already comes out of your faucet. Plus, their alcohol-free 4X concentrated mouthwash comes in a beautiful, eco-friendly refill bottle that's 100% recyclable. It's their way of helping make your mouth a little cleaner and the earth a little greener. Quip mouthwash kills bad breath germs, helps prevent cavities, and leaves you feeling fresh. Their 4X concentrate has fluoride and xylitol, but they left out the artificial colors and stinging alcohol you'll find in other rinses. Add a mouthwash refill plan and make sure your rinse never runs out. You can also get automatic refills of brush heads, floss, toothpaste, and gum, so Quip will cover your whole mouth. And if you go to getquip.com slash muggle5 right now, you can get $5 off a mouthwash starter kit. That's $5 off a mouthwash starter kit, which includes a refillable dispenser and a 90-day dose supply of Quip's 4X concentrated formula at getquip.com slash muggle5, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash muggle5. Quip is the good habits company, and I am suddenly feeling much more fresh. So let's get dirty again with this discussion on Draco. All right, well... 
up until this point, we've had uh, verbal insults and a lot of mean things said and 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 little cheating going on. But uh, from this point forward, the top three moments that Draco was a jerk could have and should have resulted in the loss of life. So this is this is escalating very very quickly. Coming in at number three, it is Draco Malfoy's tirade against Buckbeak, the hippogriff in Prisoner of Azkaban, you know, he fails to account for his own actions in taunting the Hippogriff and really just milks his wound, which is able to be healed via magic overnight into a school year-long campaign to discredit Hagrid and to basically murder the beast, to see the beast murdered as a result. And we know that it upsets uh, Hagrid. American readers of the books uh, had to page through those tears that sopped up on Hagrid's letter uh, when he told them that Buckbeak was going to be sentenced and going to be executed. And, you know, that that was very traumatizing for the fact that it made the, um, you know, an image in the American Potter books that Buckbeak and, and, and really it's just Draco, his classicism his basically attack of Hagrid directly and indirectly as a result of this is just like his father. Yeah, this was a sickening development in this book for sure. And it's just, you know, such a bald faced lie. And he doesn't stop here. I mean, let's think about what happens in book five when Hagrid is outed as being a... Or was that Goblet of Fire? I'm forgetting right now whether it was Goblet or Order of the Phoenix. It's Rita in Goblet, I believe. Goblet, yeah. It's pretty cruel. All around. Well, you yeah. care about animals. Like, this is just the meanest thing. Yeah. You did something to an animal. You knew this would happen. And then you throw the animal under the bus. And yep. going back to a point from earlier, this stems from a moment of jealousy, right? He sees Harry mm-hmm. getting the treatment and he feels like he needs to be in the spotlight as well. And then all of this is the fallout from that. And it's not a case where things spiral out of control. Um, because at a certain point he could have told his dad, okay, not, you know, enough. I, my arm feels better today. Actually, he's perfectly willing to let his dad's old school buddy McNair go and kill this thing. He does not care. And he doesn't think at all about Hagrid. Like Draco's had it against Hagrid since the Norbert incident in, in book one, um, you know, reporting the dragon, like he does not care. And this time, if it weren't for some time traveling meddling teens, (laughs) uh, you know, Hippogriff would have died as a result of Draco's direct action and, and intention. But it it's also it, it showcases like a certain level of classism and elitism that Draco is even allowed to be able to have this play itself out because the class is called care of magical creatures. Inevitably, something is going to go wrong, just like in potions, <laughs> just like in other classes, right? Right. Like Seamus doesn't go riding the minister every time his head blows up and his hair is like, <laughs> you know, out in all directions. Neville passing out from the mandrakes doesn't go to his grandmother to go to the minister. So, I mean, I, I think it just shows kind of who the Malfoy family are. Right. Like his exactly. daddy's a school governor. Yeah. And he, you know, gives fudge pocketfuls of gold. Right. So we've literally seen that happen. So moving on to the top two moment that Draco was a jerk. And this is where serious loss of life really could have occurred. It's from Half-Blood Prince, his whole entire plot on letting the Death Eaters into Hogwarts. We know that when Draco faces uh, Dumbledore, he cannot kill him. Great. Nice work, Draco. But just the sheer fact that you're going to let 
Fenrir Greyback, Bellatrix Lestrange, a ton of Death Eaters into Hogwarts School, where they are going to unabashedly attack and maim and kill students, teachers, all these people that aren't prepared and aren't didn't choose to fight is absurdly out of control. And, you know, a jerk isn't even a strong enough word for this segment, given these last two entries. But, you know, bear with me. This is just reckless and very, 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 very dangerous. Well, I just I love, again, the callback to Chamber of Secrets, where he's so confident that if he knew who the heir of Slytherin was, he could help them. Mm. You know, it even it refers to him as saying it petulantly. Right. And then he gets a taste of what it's like to serve Lord Voldemort. And he's like, oh, shit yeah (laughs) and this is just like a violation of the school going there is a privilege it's not a right yeah no he broke he broke the terms of uh service (laughs) yeah terms of agreement you can agree on that draco (laughs) no but it's just it's just so sickening how you could do that to a school and destroy it from the inside out create this leak this hole ugh yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely grounds for expulsion if what happened the year after in terms of who t- t- takes over didn't take over, right? I mean, going back to like what he's subjecting Hagrid and Buckbeak to, like this is grounds to get kicked out of school. Oh God, for all the times Harry was threatened to get his wand broken in half just because, I don't know, a house elf did magic in his living room. Look at what Draco does. He should be expelled and not allowed to complete his schooling and have his wand snapped. Yeah, I mean- I. To compare it to something in modern day, it'd be the equivalent of letting a school shooter into the school. The next year to finish their degree mm, for the GED. Right. No, no. I'm saying in the Death Eaters, they're letting oh, yeah. the, the, the perpetrators oh. into the school. You don't know right. what those people are going to do. Yep. Well, and it also speaks to his regard, at least at this point in the story, for his fellow students. You know, I, I would think that if he had siblings, for example, who were attending Hogwarts, he might think twice before letting Death Eaters into the school and potentially endangering his blood, right? But Mm -hmm. even with the way that he regards Crab and Goyle, you never really get a sense that he cares very much about them. Mm -hmm. And so it really just speaks to where he's at as a character at this point in the story that he Mm -hmm. lets a group of some of the most dangerous Death Eaters into the school where there are children just trying to get an education. Right. Yeah, Crab and Goyle have always come across as his henchmen to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they're very poor substitutes for what Harry has with Ron and Hermione to that. Like Rocksteady yep. and Bebop. <laughs> <laughs> One thing again about, you know, now that Draco is a father, he thinks back on a huge violation of the school like this, and he's like, I wouldn't want some kid sneaking evil people into the school while Scorpius is there. So it's for reasons like this that he decided to be a better person Mm -hmm. and not send Scorpius down the same path that he was on. Things change when you become a parent or when, you know, things involve you. I I do agree with that. But book six is not the turning point for Draco. Like he does actually manage. I know he's under a lot of pressure for Voldemort to kill Dumbledore. But even after that, the next year, his family's lives are still in the balance and he still chooses to be on the wrong side of it. Um, yeah. Which 
Yeah, which leads us into the first moment, the top moment that Draco Malfoy's a jerk, and it's the fiend fire incident in the Deathly Hallows. So Harry is down to like his last physical horcrux. He's told Neville about the snake, I believe, or whatever, but they've got the diadem, and who should show up to interrupt? Like, Voldemort is more mortal than he has been in decades, and Draco's the one who chooses to stand in front of Harry and says, let's fight. Let's duke this out. And it's just like, really, dude? Like, really? You can't just live and let live after all we've been through? You can't live and let live here? And Draco decides he's going to cause a fuss? Crab actually dies from this. Um, Good job, Draco. Fault. But still, yeah. Come on, Draco. Well done, Draco. Kill well Crab. Well done, Draco. <laughs> 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 Most awkward moment of Deathly Hallows Part 2, right there. <laughs> it just speaks to the unpredictability. I mean, again, like, it's you know, the Fiendfire, Draco just couldn't have predicted what would have happened. And they actually have to save Draco's life. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, there's that great line by Ron, everyone loves, you know, if we die oh, yeah. saving his life, I'll kill you, you know. <laughs> it just, yeah. it just really is absurd the level to which Draco stoops. And, and it, in this case, it very much really causes human life. At this point, he's on Harry's side. And he still chooses to obstruct him. And I mean he's on Harry's side by he knows who the good guy is and who the bad guys are. And he's still going to get in Harry's way. Come on. Yeah. Do you think that any of that might have been informed by Draco panicking and seeing that they stood a chance of losing the second Wizarding War and thinking that his parents could be in danger as a result and so maybe that's why he like I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm just trying to think about what his motivation might have been in that moment. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just old habits too, because of the school rivalry, Harry's in school. And so it takes them back to like where they were the last time. Because mm. people don't change overnight. No. It's a, even if they want to, it's sort of a, a slower process, a more gradual thing. Um, but it certainly seemed like a setback. Like Draco's the last person you want to see once Harry's that close to actually destroying all the Horcruxes. So. Jay Sherby is also bringing up the moment where Draco stomps on Harry's face. Oh, And Jay yep. Sherby says, I remember actually feeling physically nauseous my first time reading it. Yeah. Yep. It's ugly. And the way they did it in the movie was really well done, too, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Intense. It's very visceral. It's actually an escalation, too, if you think about it, because it's physical harm. Yeah. Yeah. And no one, no one can find Harry until after the spell rolls off because he covers in them in the invisibility cloak. Where was the trolley lady to save him? Hmm? Ah, uh, man. Catching kids escaping the train, but not getting beat up on the train. Good thing for Tonks. Well, moving along and thinking about all of Draco's misdeeds, um, we want to dig into how much of Draco's upbringing is he at fault for? Like, how much of this is on nature versus nurture. So he's the son of Lucius and Narcissa, both Death Eaters. Eric put in here a great point. They're really the equivalent of wizarding Nazis. So can Draco be blamed for some of his rougher tendencies? How much of his school feuds with Harry can be chalked up to boys will be boys? Um, and we also have to remember his family owned a house elf when he was growing, growing up, right? Like, they had a slave, effectively, in their home. Um, so knowing that this was sort of Draco's foundation before he went out in the world <laughs> to school, 
How much responsibility do we think that he bears for these behaviors? I think I I blame his parents 100%, his upbringing. I don't blame Draco himself in the earlier books in particular. Um, By the later books, though, he's aged. You start to think for yourself more and more. And those later books are really, you know, it's like, all that stuff is unforgivable, and we'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I I completely blame his parents, and it also made me think. I wonder if Draco would have been a different kid if he weren't an only child. Maybe he would have been brought up mm-hmm. differently by being the only child. Lucius is like, this is my only shot, the only chance I get at continuing what I've been doing all of my life or most of my life. Um, so I feel like there was a lot more pressure on Draco to be a certain type of person, to be a hateful person, to uh, to become a Death Eater one day. Andrew, you touched on a point that actually relates to a question I have. What When is somebody old enough to know right from wrong? It, it does seem to be when. Like for a kid who's using the word mug, mudblood so cavalierly at age 12, when does it stop being, oh, he was just raised that that word is okay? And when is it all of a sudden, okay, no, he's deliberately using a racial, like, when can he be blamed for using that word alone? Because he pretty much calls her that in every book. Yeah. Like, is it 14? There's not one number, one age for everybody where suddenly you are responsible for your own actions and we can blame you and, and no one else. Yeah, but it's it it occurs well before, like, Voldemort threatens his life. Like, year six... Draco has been responsible for his own actions for at least a couple years, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think this, this, the answer to this question could vary depending on who you talk to, right? But I think that especially when we start boiling it down to life and death as themes, like Draco making conscious choices that, res- that could result in somebody's death. I don't know that you need to be too terribly old to know that that's wrong. (laughs) Right. Like, how old do you need to be to know that that's not the right thing to do? Yeah. I mean, I think his worldview has been so um, tainted in a way, though, right? Just like you see how he behaves throughout the course of the series towards anybody that isn't like him. and. I think a lot of that is rooted in how he was raised. And I think it's hard for people to be able to kind of completely shift their belief systems when they've been instilled with these beliefs by their parents, right? He has a aunt who's locked up in Azkaban. Presumably his grandparents are of the similar mindset. And it's not to say that people can't change, but it's I think it's hard to pinpoint a specific age that... Mm -hmm. He, he starts to really see the difference because even the examples you mentioned later on in the books, you think he would know kind of right from wrong, but yet I think he's still looking through that lens of pure blood mania in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, as a real world example, we can look at people who might have been raised by racist parents. And, you know, there are certainly numerous examples of this that you could find on like YouTube or TikTok, people sharing those experiences and how hindered they are when they venture out into the world on their own as adults when they realize, holy cow, this is not 
the right way. And the process of unlearning 18 or so years of that kind of propaganda is immense. So I don't think there's any question that Draco was never going to be like a perfect ally (laughs) in any of these books. Um, But I think that when we start talking about to, again, those themes of like deciding who gets to live or die, that's what's kind of troubling to me. Because it's like, we've all known a bad person, right? But how many bad people or people that we think are bad, people that we disagree with, but how many of those people would actually like kill somebody (laughs) or like facilitate somebody's death? Like it's pretty extreme. And he doesn't really start to see things the quote unquote right way until the script is flipped against him. Yeah. And he starts to be threatened and his family starts to be in danger. That's when he really starts to realize that what he's gotten himself into is not really what he wants to be involved with. Yeah. Well, he realizes that to Voldemort, they don't matter any more than anyone else. They're just convenient tools for him to use. Right. And I think when he has that realization of like, oh, crap, we're not special. That's when he has his light bulb moment, right? Definitely. Right. So would we blame any of Draco's former schoolmates for not trusting him, no matter how reformed he proved himself to be? Like, think about anyone who went to school with Draco is aware of all of the the nefarious stuff that Draco got up to. And let's just say Draco is truly reformed. He's like a model ally now. And... You know, he's just doing great. Do you think that everybody would suddenly trust him? Would you trust him if you had gone to school with him? In time, if he were to be proving himself for years and years, I think so. It's just hard to forgive those past things. I would believe he has changed. That doesn't mean I have to forgive him. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, recognizing that somebody is capable of change, but also knowing that that doesn't necessarily warrant forgiveness is mm-hmm. a big part of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I try right. to, I imagine it's sort of like if I were, you know, in the wizarding world and like, let's say that I worked where Draco worked. Um, I think that I could, I would be professional, but I would keep it there. I couldn't, I don't know that I'd be able to see myself becoming buddy buddy with this person like there's too much baggage Mm -hmm. there you know yeah Yeah. and that's okay yeah yeah i I mean one person in particular comes to mind for me that i i don't think would trust him no matter what and that's katie bell yeah (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah yep don't blame her Mm -hmm. at all well As we're talking about this idea of, like, is redemption possible for Draco, I was wondering if we could all take a moment to open up and um, share something that we would consider unforgivable. What's something that to us personally in our lived experience, uh, to my knowledge, none of us have gone to a wizarding school during a world war or anything like that. Um, So these things are not necessarily going to be comparable. But I thought it would get us in a 
it put us in a good headspace to be able to have this conversation, thinking about the kinds of things that we can and can't forgive. Yeah, I think betraying a friend's trust is the biggest one for me. If you have a close relationship with somebody and you go behind their back and do something, whether it's sharing a secret or something concerning a relationship or or maybe just no longer being there for that person when they need you, um, I think that's one of the worst things you can do because friendships are obviously very special and you lean on certain people. And if they're suddenly not there for you or they're doing things that they shouldn't because you you trusted them with some information they spread or whatnot. That's that's awful. That's awful. And you think about when you're a friend with somebody, you're a friend with them for years and years, maybe your entire life. And just for them to go behind your back and do something that you trusted they wouldn't, that's as bad as cheating in a relationship or anything else. I, I agree with you, Andrew. It all comes down to trust. Um, you know, we have these people that we trust. If 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 you're vulnerable with somebody and you share something, you have a right to have that vulnerability honored and you have a right to have, you know, your feelings protected and respected and to have somebody, you know, divulge a secret or something you told somebody else in confidence is not only not cool, but it's a severe breach of trust. I think mine kind of ties into what both Andrew and Eric said, and that's saying something that you can't take back. Uh, you li- We live in an, in an age where, you know, it's not just me saying it right now, you know, and it disappears after the fact, right? We have so many different mediums of communication. And I think we've probably all been in the situation where we've said something and then we've thought right in that moment as it was coming out of our mouths that we shouldn't have said it. And I think I should not have said that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect timing. Thank you, Andrew. But yeah, I, I think there, there are times where things can be said where even if it's not interpreted the right way, whether it's by you or by the other person, it's still harmful, hurtful, and you know, it, it could damage friendships. It could damage relationships depending on what it is that's said. Yeah, I, I'm sensing a trust theme throughout all of these. Um, yeah. Mine is uh, lying about something that's really important. I wouldn't say lying in general. We all lie sometimes. It's human. But if the stakes are really high or if you know that this thing is really important to somebody that you care about and you lie to that person's face, especially if they know that you know that they know you're lying and BSing them, that to, like you're dead to me if you do that. <laughs> I had somebody do this to me recently, and I was like, you're dead to me. <laughs> Block on all yep. platforms. <laughs> Sorry that happened. Yeah, that's that's extremely oh. rough. And it's like, we're all adults here. Like, yeah. why do you need to lie? What what are you getting out of it? Or if you're confusing me, if I'm naive and I believe the lie, like, why are you doing that? That is absolute shit. For a second, I thought mm-hmm. Eric was apologizing for doing that to Laura. I was like, <gasps> Revelation. <laughs> breaking breaking news. Uh, me, me and Eric are having a friendship breakup. No. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. No. Nobody on this panel has ever done that to me, to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> Andrew's like, ooh. Andrew, Andrew's the most likely. What? The Zoom call's breaking up. <laughs> what? I've got to go. Okay. So we've just talked about a few things that we personally consider to be unforgivable. Now, thinking about some of the examples we've discussed with regards to Draco, has he done anything that is unforgivable? 
So there's the general pure blood superiority he has established throughout the core seven books, using slurs towards characters, um, you know, potentially bringing on Buckbeak's death sentence because of exaggerating an injury. Um, there are a few different things that we could lean into, but I'm wondering if anybody can pick out a key one of these points that they feel like is hard stop, not forgivable. I mean, I would go back and, and use the Katie Bell example again. I mean, mm-hmm. collateral damage essentially for for what his larger plan is, which is also unforgivable, which is trying to kill his principal essentially. Yeah. yeah. And, da- you know, hurting other people along the way. Like I said, helping the Death Eaters break into Hogwarts, that was, you know, you're violating the trust of the sc- of the school, the security of the school, you know, a place so sacred and special. You're you're tearing that down. I think that's unforgivable. I agree. Especially when he's older. Yes. Well, that's a great point. What about his involvement with the Inquisitorial Squad in Book 5? I feel like this is maybe kind of like a case where we might find ourselves kind of like on the fence about whether or not this is forgivable. Yeah, I mean, it's perfectly legal to support the uh, High Inquisitor in her duties of ratting out your fellow students for illegal, quote, quote, activity. But no, this is something that I think is unforgivable. It represents a choice that Draco has made between, um, you know, the the government and his fellows. And it basically, he's just constantly choosing the shittiest teams of people to be alongside mm-hmm. and... He's actively making life a lot harder for for the good guys. And it's he genuinely wants to be part of a bad group like that. He I think at that point at age 15 can see that they're clear that Umbridge is clearly not, you know, having anyone's best interest at heart except herself. And he still joins alongside her and makes it harder for everyone else. But just to play devil's advocate here, Umbridge is a ministry official. Yeah. Right, he's and, well within his rights to join the Inquisitorial mm-hmm. Squad, uh, and may he rot in hell for doing so. <laughs> the thing that gets me here is that he knew at this point how bad of a person she was, and he's still signing up for it. He still wants to be a part of this. Um, and again, it's the age. I think around book five is, is the sweet spot in terms of like where we can no longer forgive him because of his age. Right. And mm. to the point that you raised about putting the school at risk in Half-Blood Prince, this is also putting the school at risk, but in a much different way, right? You're physically tormenting students. Like you're you're not looking out for the well-being of your fellow students if you're allowing the person in charge to physically abuse them. So, mm-hmm. I I also agree with you. Like I find that to be unforgivable. I agree. I think that from probably Draco's vantage point, he's still, to the point Micah brought up earlier, he's still viewing the world through this very restrictive lens. And he's seeing this government official who shares his and his family's motivations. So he still thinks he's on the right side of history at this moment, which is pretty disturbing and says something about his, 
lack of strength and resolve at this point in time. Agreed. So. Any other moments that we would call unforgivable, or do y'all feel that we've? I'm I'm super surprised. I think that we did manage to find that sweet spot of age, mm-hmm. like between years five, like including years five. Um, so everything that happened after there, everything about the fiend fire incident, I know he didn't cast the spell, but he enabled it to happen. Crab and Goyle would have gone anywhere with him or not gone anywhere with him. Um, yeah. So. Well, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned finding that sweet spot because, you know, when we think about coming of age stories, that coming of age moment is really defined by greater independence so like you know in the muggle muggle world it's getting your driver's license and being able to operate a vehicle right in the wizarding world it's learning how to operate which is what they do in book five so i think you could make the argument well there you go that that the fifth year is kind of like the sweet 16 (laughs) of the wizarding world effectively that is nuts Mm -hmm. i like that a lot well Let's shift a little bit to other characters' forgiveness or lack of forgiveness for Draco. We asked everyone to think ahead about which characters are likely to forgive Draco for his role at Hogwarts and which characters wouldn't. Dumbledore would forgive. He would forgive. He knew Voldemort set him up. Um, Hagrid would not forgive him. Nope. After what happened with yeah. Buckbeak, just the general dislike for Draco, knowing who his father is, Hagrid, yeah, would never forgive Draco. Yeah, that was a year-long campaign. Draco had to really try to get things to be that bad about Buckbeak, and he did so because he thought it was a laugh. You know another character I thought about who would not forgive Draco? Neville. Good. Yeah. Good. Neville is just, again, the the targeted um, insult and the targeted like physical stuff that Draco had for Neville throughout all the Hogwarts years was was also very reprehensible and very awful. And talk about doing it to a fellow pureblood as well. This is just a kid he didn't he didn't like because he seemed incompetent or something. This is somebody who had, you know, everything going right. So anyway, the the whole Neville thing, I can see Neville being a, a bigger person. I can see Neville being in the same room as Draco, but in terms of forgiveness, no. He you made his childhood life like hell. And there's no reason why Neville should be asked to forgive Draco ever. So in thinking about a character who I could see potentially forgiving Draco, I'm going to ask you guys to bear with me here. I think that Hermione could potentially forgive Draco because, not because he deserves it, but I think that Hermione is self-aware enough to know that forgiveness is not about the person being forgiven. It's about the person doing the forgiving so they can let go of the trauma, the baggage that went along with it. Um, Now, I know the three of you have seen Cursed Child. I have not. Um, But based on their interactions in the play, what are your feelings on this? Uh, Hermione's in love with Drago. (laughs) That's why she would forgive him. Well, he's in love with her. He's like, oh, this is like, oh, Hermione Granger bosses me around. Ooh la la. Yeah, I think that's a weird line. I heard about that and I hated it. It, It's it's tense in The Cursed Child, I think, especially Mm -hmm. towards the beginning. But remember when we did our fan fiction episode, I read that Hermione Draco one where they're meeting in the coffee shop every day. And I can see it. 
I could see things getting better now that I, I've read that fan fiction, or at least a good chunk of it. Mm-hmm. I think Hermione could forgive him in time. Yeah, I think that she, as a character, has the capacity to do that. It doesn't mean that she necessarily should, mm-hmm. right? Like, just because somebody has the capacity for something doesn't necessarily mean that it's healthy for them to do that. But I think Hermione has shown herself throughout the books as being a character who takes into account the larger context behind a situation, whereas Harry and yeah. Ron tend to be very like face value. Um, Hermione often is like, oh, well, you idiots, you didn't think about this. Or, um, you know, like when Harry is having all of his problems with Cho, Hermione is the one who expands upon how Cho might be feeling in that moment, right? So I could just see her having a little bit more of like a holistic approach to this situation. So maybe. Um, I think Ron, like straight up, no, never. <laughs> Ron no. Ron holds a grudge. There's no. <laughs> too much of a rivalry there yeah. in a lot of ways, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time thinking of another character that would forgive Draco. One other that came to mind that I don't think would is Snape. Draco oh. essentially dooms Snape to his fate because oh. of the unbreakable mm. vow. You know, he's kind of forced into that situation. Yes, it's Narcissa who comes to him and asks for the unbreakable vow, but it's because of Draco. And Snape has to follow through with what he has to do because the unbreakable vow has been made. He has to kill Dumbledore. He ultimately loses his life as a result of it. I mean, I don't can't really get inside of Snape's head, but I don't know if he'd be too happy with Draco, to be honest with you. Yeah. Couldn't Snape blame Lucius though? That's and what I blame was Voldemort, thinking. of course. Yeah. The whole reason for that is Voldemort is punishing Lucius for the events of Order of right. the Phoenix, right? It's not actually about Draco. Um, yeah. But Draco, I, I think at least in the beginning, he's pumped that the Dark Lord has placed this confidence in him and he doesn't realize that he's a pawn in the game. Mm-hmm. Right. So I could see Snape being like, you idiot. Like, how could you not realize? <laughs> Yo, and Snape idiot. offers his help. He offers his help multiple mm-hmm. times. And Draco says, no, I can do this myself. And. Yeah, I, you know, we don't know the things would have played out any differently, but they certainly could have yeah. if Draco put a little bit more trust in Snape. And maybe they go to Dumbledore and that whole thing on the tower doesn't happen. Well, right. you have to wonder, too, does Draco, I like how we're becoming therapists for Draco now. Does, does Draco <laughs> know how to trust? Like, I'm just imagining he's an only child. He grew up with Lucius and Narcissa, who don't exactly strike me as people who instill the greatest confidence in anyone. So has Draco ever seen a trusting relationship in his life, at least in his young That's life? That's a great point. That's yeah. a great... Yeah. Crowd no, and Goyle, just the henchman, as was brought up earlier. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He should be trusting Snape in book six, and he just doesn't. So I think that really does indicate that he doesn't know how or what it even looks like. And again, learning from your mistakes. This is why he didn't want to instill these values in Scorpius. He didn't have anybody he could trust. Scorpius needs an Albus. Hashtag Scorbus. 
<laughs> We're making the case that Draco's going to be like the best dad of the next generation. I yeah. want to believe it, honestly. I, I, I want that redemption for Draco. Draco plant daddy. <laughs> Draco's a plant daddy now. Sorry, Jewel. He's a good You're daddy. Have to make a graphic. Uh, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I do memes. think Harry, Harry could forgive Draco. And, and maybe it's because his mother saved his life. Right. Um, I don't know if it, that, that maybe that takes a little bit away from, but also I would argue, and I don't know if we probably talk about this in terms of some redemptive moments for Draco, but he saves Harry's life too. When yep. they come to Malfoy Manor, he could have easily given them up and he chooses not to. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into Draco Malfoy's most redeeming qualities here in a moment. But first, I'd like to share a quick word from our final sponsor of the week, Third Love. It's nice to treat yourself once in a while. And what better way than investing in a brand new bra from Third Love? I've been wearing their bras for a couple of years now, and I swear by the fit. Third Love knows the science behind top-to-bottom comfort without sacrificing style, from perfectly fitted bras and underwear to quality sleepwear. Like many, I actually wasn't aware of how a bra should fit until I tried Third Love for the first time. A good bra should be barely there, but with enough support so you know it's literally got your back. I remember how tempting it was to buy cheap bras that maybe didn't fit as well but looked cute. I'm a fan of Third Love's 24-7 perfect coverage bra, but there are lots of styles to choose from. Need to find out your perfect fit? Look no further than Third Love's Fitting Room Quiz. It's a quick and easy quiz to help discover your perfect fit while taking into account size, shape, current fit issues, and your personal style. No more awkward in-person fitting room experiences? Sounds like a win to me. You deserve some TLC. That's Third Love Comfort. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast now to get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 20% off today. Okay, well, to wrap us up on Draco, um, Eric, you had a great ending point here that I'll let you lead off. Yeah, sure. Besides his uh, potential to be a great daddy, um, what are if some reasonable, like, good qualities? That Draco has. Let's all pay Draco a compliment um, here, right? He's pretty good, we think, academically. Um, he is resourceful, is what I'm going to go with mine. He does use the Peruvian Instant Darkness Powder uh, from Fred and George's shop. He's not afraid to cross enemy lines to get that and then use it, um, you know, when least expecting. He is able to outsmart Harry Potter in a lot of circumstances. Yep. and. That's pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, think about how he got the idea for using the Room of Requirement in Book Six from Dumbledore's army. From Fred and George, specifically. Yeah. Like yeah. throwing Montague into the cabinets. And then he took the time to interview Montague afterwards and hear what he had to say and then realize also what it meant, what he was hearing, what it meant. Yeah, and he mended the Vanishing Cabinet, too. Gosh. So, I mean, clearly intelligence is not a problem for him. Um, and I think I think that's something we can all agree on. Something that I would say positively about him. I don't know if the Draco Malfoy that we've known throughout the seven core books. I don't know if like he could ever 
see total social redemption. I think some people might forgive him. Some people certainly would not. Um, And it would definitely have an impact on the rest of his life. But it does seem like he's trying to right those wrongs by raising his son differently. So Mm -hmm. while there are certainly things that Draco has done that cannot be taken back and there's nothing that he could ever say or do to make those things okay. It seems that he is trying to raise an upstanding member of society. Another good thing, he tried to become friends with Harry. Give him credit for that. <laughs> He's good judgment in who his friends could be. No, he don't was like just trying, Oh, you mean initially. No, he was trying to I be more friends. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, but still, you know. He bit the bullet, even if it was just strategic. Look, I'm trying here. No, I, I, I know I mentioned just before the the Malfoy Manor moment, but th- that's a huge, I don't know if you want to call it a redemptive moment. I don't know if he was just scared out of his mind and didn't want to risk potentially killing three of his classmates. But wow. if we're going for a positive spin here, he he buys them time. And yeah. He he ultimately, in an indirect way, saves their lives mm-hmm. because if Voldemort had been called at that moment, they would have all been most definitely killed. So he allowed the story to uh, to continue. But I'm actually I'm surprised <laughs> well, that there isn't more of a redemptive moment for Draco. I, I don't know right. if any of you felt this way, kind of as we went towards the end of Deathly Hallows. We talked about what happened in the Room of Requirement. But but there's no nothing redemptive about that. And there's nothing redemptive during the battle itself. I know, I think a couple episodes ago, we talked about how there was this scene shot that was cut from the films about how Draco tosses oh, Harry yeah. his wand after he oh. uh, comes back from the forest. I mean, something like, maybe that's a little too cheesy, but- No, I, I love that. I just feel like there was something missing to kind of finally bring Draco and Harry together um, Here's yeah. what it is. It's that the key to the series ended up being that Harry was the master of death due to disarming Draco. But the way it actually presents is it's a passive thing from Draco's part. That's not Draco throwing Harry his wand. That's Harry disarming him in a moment when they were fighting. But if Draco had thrown him his wand like they did in that movie scene, it would be a direct choice that Draco made that led to Harry becoming the master of death that led to him killing Voldemort. Like, it would have been a more active way that Draco could have redeemed himself, to your point. Yeah, but that throws into question, that would throw into question, like, the allegiance of the Elder Wand, right? Because... Well, Joe made that complicated for her own needs, so I'm saying we could make it, like, uncomplicated. (laughs) Uncomplicated? (laughs) Yeah. Like, make it a little bit more straightforward. Like, Draco doesn't get to claim that he had any hand in Voldemort's destruction in the end. But the Wand's allegiance did have to do with Harry disarming him. It's like... She removed it's almost like Draco's choice was removed from that moment. Like he could have it would have been better if it had been something he had given Harry. Yeah. Although, do you think that maybe part of the point in not giving him a strong moment of redemption in the books was that not everybody gets that? Like, yeah, maybe she wanted to keep it somewhat open ended and leave it up to people's interpretation. You know, King Stag, this is a good redemptive thing to end on. Um, King Stag, she mentions his, uh, Draco's friendship with Moaning Myrtle. Yeah. And this is totally in the canon in the books, but he finds, you know, 
at parts in book six, when he's very down under the weather and not feeling it, he does connect with the ghost of Myrtle Warren. Who is muggle-born. It's a good point, but he doesn't in private. He, I don't think he's going out in the halls of Hogwarts and being like, guess what Myrtle told me the other day, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, but well, he's also not like, you know, you're just a 13-year-old, like, nerd, freckle face, you know, kind of thing. Like, he... I guess understands or, or is or is meant to see like the softer side of somebody as a result of his deep trauma. So I think there's hope for him there. Yeah, I agree that I think that there could be hope for his character. Yeah, um, it's a learning so, experience for him. Yeah. So what is our verdict? Maybe, maybe Draco's capable of redemption, and maybe Rowling was undecided too, and that's why yeah. she, you know, kind of yeah. kept it open. It's good to be the author. <laughs> you don't actually need to decide on anything. She did write something on Potter No More a few years ago. It is available on wizardingworld.com in which she talks about Draco. And I don't know. I can't remember if she actually addresses redemption explicitly, but she had some interesting thoughts there. All right. Yeah. Well, that was a great discussion. And if anybody has any feedback about today's episode, you can email mugglecast at gmail.com or use the contact form on mugglecast.com. We also have the voicemail line. That's 1-920-3-MUGGLE, 1-920-368-4453. You can also send a voice memo to mugglecast at gmail.com. Whether you call us or send in a voice memo, just try to be in a quiet environment and keep your message no longer than a minute. And we will have a Muggle Mail episode coming up in about two weeks. All right, it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, some of the earliest HP fan conventions were run by a group called HPEF. What does HPEF stand for? The correct answer is HP Education Fanon, F-A-N-O-N. That is correct. There were some real great, real early conventions back in the day. And here are the list of winners. Somebody named Bah Humbug to Hamburgers, Bookish Penguin, Excuse Miranda. You. I know, right? Uh, pious Thickness is Back Yo, the Low Price Ticket Demon, Legalize Gillyweed, <laughs> Micah underscore funny underscore bones, insert funny name here, Hero to Millions, Fizzing Weasley B, Finn Wolfhard, Mrs. Ron Weasley, Time Traveling Unicorn, Steve the Swedish Short Snout, Board Voldemort, Luna's Toes, and Sylvia, as well as more. Excellent names, as always, all around. Even insert funny name here. You hit it out yeah. of the park. Ah, totally great. So uh, these answers were submitted to us by the MuggleCast website using the contact form that's there under the uh, subheading Quizich. So go click on Quizich on the menu. And here is next week's question. The constellation named Draco was so named for its appearance of being like a dragon. Who first named the constellation Draco? And here's a hint. It's a renowned philosopher. Fun question. By the way, we're doing Thanks. this on video today. Normally, so we moved the recordings to Thursday nights. We were recording Saturday mornings. Saturday mornings, not a great time to be on camera. Thursday nights, better, we'll say. <laughs> and watching 
Better. Great. I don't know. Better? Yes. And uh, watching Eric do Quizage was very exciting. So uh, you oh. can actually watch us, too, at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We live stream each episode recording, and now you get to see us for the time being. Maybe we'll get rid of cameras and get tired of this after a while. We get shy. <laughs> I like I like leaning back. I sink as time passes, but not when I'm on video on for camera. a podcast. You can do it on camera. No, no one's that's not judge. a good look. That's, I got to show off my plant daddy shirt, which I'm also wearing That's today. true. I did manually adjust myself after I was like down here and I saw you guys were sitting. Yeah, I was like, you got to be more okay. mindful. This is good for our really posture. Do. It's it's helping us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So live streams are available at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. You also get you also get instant access to years of bonus MuggleCasts, a personalized video. Thank you message. Our new AMA feature. Eric just did a video AMA in character, I think, right? As Lockhart, dressed up. Gilderoy Lockhart answered your burning questions. It's currently available on oh. Patreon. Yes. So it's to... an AMA with Lockhart, not with Eric. Right, yeah. I had my <laughs> AMA earlier in the year. We'll do one again. But uh, it's Mr. Lockhart himself answering your burning questions. The bar has been raised, I think. I, know, I don't want to get all get costumes now. <laughs> I know, wow. I know. Maybe I'll do my AMA in voice as Dumbledore, but I'm I can't dress up as him. I don't have all that stuff. You got a good Think Draco how long voice, that too. AMA would be though if you're doing it completely in Dumbledore character. Let me give you a complete history, but leave out important details. That'd be great. <laughs> Uh, so we have a lot of benefits at our Patreon, and it is the reason why we are a weekly podcast, and your support helps us continue and grow and make the show as great as it can be. So thank you very much. Also, make sure you are following MuggleCast in whatever app you use to listen to the show so that you never miss an episode, and follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, I think that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.